You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 709 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live from State Farm Arena after what became a 123-115 to loss for the Hawks at the hands of the Boston Celtics. We will have plenty of coverage of the game itself. Before we get to the game, the first part of the pod will be sort of a catch-up. It is trade deadline week. It's Monday night now, so we are less than 72 hours away from the deadline itself, and there'll be plenty of uh, murmurs, I would say, between now and then, rumblings, if you will, and the Hawks are probably going to be pretty active. I'm not sure if they'll do something or not, but they'll certainly be in the mix all the way through. The latest on the Hawks' front, um, centers with uh, Clint Capella to start with. Um, as you probably heard on the last podcast, but if you missed it, I talked extensively on the Saturday night podcast about the Clint Capella rumor as it first broke. So go back and listen to that podcast if you, uh, so, if, if you so choose. But um, during the Super Bowl, actually, kind of hilariously, there's usually sort of a moratorium on this kind of thing. Adrian Wojnarowski reported, um, and not really huge new information, but certainly a, a reemphasis of what Shams was reporting at the end of last week that the Hawks are in the mix for Clint Capella, saying that the Hawks are among teams that are, quote, engaged, end quote, on Capella. And I referred to that, of course, on other previous podcasts. But Woj uh, later tweeted on Monday that the Hawk, that sorry, that the Rockets are seeking picks in the deal for Capella because they're trying to flip those for other assets in the future, slash present. Uh, perhaps Robert Covington has been uh, among those discussed for the Rockets. But on the Hawks' side, the Hawks, of course, do have some picks. They're not totally flush, with picks, but the Brooklyn pick is out there. That would be an interesting centerpiece of a deal for a player like Capella, I would have to imagine, because it's sort of locked in almost on that mid-tier first-round level. A lot of the first-round picks that you're going to hear discussed over the next couple of days around the league are in the 20s or maybe even 30 when it comes to Boston holding Milwaukee's pick, whereas Atlanta, that Brooklyn pick could be the 16th pick in the draft, 15th pick in the draft. That, there's a little bit more value in that particular pick than any other first-rounder that's likely to be traded in a, a sort of more of a peripheral deal between now and then, because most most deals are going to either be lottery protected or they'll be uh, in the 20s where the Hawks kind of fall in the middle there. Um, worth noting that Kelly Eco of The Athletic, who covers the Rockets, reported um, about Clint Capella having some plantar fasciitis, and he's actually out of the lineup right now with a heel injury that could be related to that. Um, it seems to be some level of concern there with Capella's uh, injury history, at least injury present. I'm not an authority on that, but go, go read Kelly's piece if you want to learn more about that. It's definitely something to consider if the Hawks are trading for Capella, that they want to be pretty confident that he's going to be healthy enough to uh, function, not be in pain, etc., etc., so keep that in mind. Last thing on the trade front for now, because there wasn't anything terribly new uh, between Saturday night and Monday night, is what I'm talking to you right now. But um, Zach Lowe and Brian Winhorst came together on a podcast that had some Hawks mentions near the end of it. I recommend listening to it as always. I tweeted a little bit about it, but the, uh, the money quote for me came from Brian Winhorst. I'm going to read it to you now. It, he says, I don't think Travis Schlenk is in a hurry. I think the pressures that are in a hurry are, again, more visceral. The ownership and Trey. End quote. Now, uh, that's one quote on a podcast, and as someone who speaks on a podcast regularly, I will be the first to tell you that not every single sentence is measured in a perfect way. So always keep that in mind. Podcasts are different when it comes to aggregation and rumors and all that stuff than, they, than actual written content where people have the opportunity to go back and edit it, et cetera, et cetera. Now, this does back up what, I, what I've heard multiple times and also with some level of common sense that the Hawks don't need to hurry here. And uh, as I said before, and I think was proven to be at least partially right on the Andre Drummond saga early on in January and December, 
um, there is some there is some feeling around the league anyway that the ownership for the Hawks might be pushing something on their end that Travis Schlank's not exactly overwhelmed with. Now, I don't know that to be true, but I've heard it enough to I want to say, at least say it out loud as a possibility here. And because of where the Hawks are in their rebuilding cycle, they don't have to do something right now. That's something I've talked about ad nauseum, but I'll say it again now. The Hawks do not have to make a deal right now at the deadline. This season is kind of a lost you know, season. It's just one of those things where it's just, it's unfortunate, but it's kind of the reality of the situation. I know there's thinking that Troy Young being a superstar means that you have to speed up your rebuild. And I totally get that to a certain extent, but that does not necessarily apply to a mid-season deal when you're talking about the fact that the Hawks are pretty much out of it at this point in time. Could they, I guess, conceivably run off a massive winning streak and get back into the playoff race? Sure, they could. But big picture, this season is not the focus. It's, the focus is the, is the future. And uh, I think the, the flexibility that the Hawks are going to have after this season lends itself to the fact that patience is a perfectly reasonable approach from the front office. So just, you know, when horses out there, I, again, I, I'd, rather, I'd rather you guys listen to that than actually take my word for it, but I definitely went through it more than once to transcribe the accurate quote, and there you go on that. But uh, keep an eye on that because, you know, Travis Schlank being patient makes a lot of sense to me, and I want to at least say that out loud. And by the way, you know, Capella is the most, is the most frequently discussed topic. I do think that Capella kind of bridges both. Capella, being the fact that he is under contract for three additional seasons, he is someone who actually could make some sense for the Hawks to trade for right now. Whereas, as I said before, the Andre Drummond does never really made sense to me. Capella does, because the Rockets are making him available now, and it might be the best time, maybe the only time, that you can go out and get, get, get Capella to be on your roster. If the Hawks like him quite a bit, this is probably the time to do it. Whereas Drummond, that's not, that's not, that's not really the case. And because Capella is reasonably paid, et cetera, et cetera, it does make some sense to make that trade now if you want to make it. But... Big picture-wise, the Hawks do not have to speed up, uh, at least for now. I do think that going into next year, looking ahead a little bit, that this summer is a big one regardless, and the Hawks, obviously, you're going to want to improve markedly in the win column for next year. But for this season, some of the value does, I would say, decrease because of the fact that the Hawks are so far out of it. Um, last thing on the trade front for now is that Zach Lowe, who I just talked about a second ago, um, in his column... Reference. I'm going, to, I'm going to read this whole passage to you because it actually makes a lot um, more sense in, sort of in a coherent thing because it, it refers to John Collins because, as I said on Saturday night, there was a Collins inclusion in the Shams reporting and there's been some discussion about Collins and teams calling on Collins. And as, as I said as a preface here on, on the Saturday Night Podcast, I do not think the Hawks are openly shopping John Collins. I think they're taking calls on John Collins. I think he would be available in the right deal, but that is not the same thing as shopping him. And I think um, it does make some sense. I, th I think it's worth noting that teams around the league that I have heard from, that I've touched base in the last couple of days, do think that Collins is gettable, I would say, maybe in the next couple of uh, months. Probably not, probably not now. I think overwhelmingly the Hawks are less likely to trade Collins now than they would be over the summer perhaps, but I think there is a sense around the lead that Collins could be traded for in the next six months. Now, whether, whether it would be before Thursday, I would be stunned by that, but there you go. Now, I'm going to read the passage from Zach Lowe here, and uh, this is word for word. Quote, the Hawks are among the teams who have expressed interest in Capella per Woj. They have talked to several teams about centers. Some of those teams have inquired about John Collins, sources say, thinking the Hawks might be worried about extension talks with Collins in the offseason. And now the money quote. Even if those teams are right, the Hawks have shown no interest in dealing Collins on any of the general terms bandied about, sources say. It will be interesting to see how Collins' game evolves if, if Atlanta really commits to a paint-bound center. End quote. So again, the money quote on that and that from, from Zach Lowe is, even if those teams are right about Collins being uh, potentially uh, available because of extension talks, the Hawks have shown, quote, no interest in dealing Collins on any of the general terms made about, end quote. So that kind of backs up what I was saying, and I totally agree with Zach. I think that Collins could be available in the summer. It would not blow me away. I think, you know, he's not untouchable in the way that Trey is, but 
again, the next couple of days, I'd be stunned by it. And uh, I, want, I do kind of have this very uh, interesting sort of intrigue as to how he might look against uh, next, I, I, would say, I should say next to someone like Capella or Adams or Drummond or someone like that. I want to see kind of what that looks like. I'm sure the Hawks do as well. So we'll keep an eye on that in the coming days. But there you go on the trade market. I'm, I'm sure we'll have more rumors in the coming days. Um, hours, I should say now, I guess. But uh, we'll, of course, have a breaking, uh, breaking news emergency podcast. If any actual trade happens and if nothing else, we'll wrap it all up on the pod later in the week. Okay, before we get to the game itself, take a quick break. We'll come right back with uh, everything from Hawks Celtics on Monday night. Okay, we're back. And uh, the Celtics game was interesting in a lot of ways. Uh, Shorthanded teams on both sides. Boston did not have Kemba Walker or Marcus Smart in this game. Enos Cantor was limited for the Celtics as well. The Hawks were uh, very shorthanded, obviously. Trey Young did play, which was a godsend for Atlanta on a number of levels because uh, they needed him to do a lot of different things. But Atlanta still only had nine guys and only eight guys played in this game. Um, sorry, they only had 10 guys and nine guys played. It was nine and eight, and then Evan Turner came back, which we'll talk about later. Um, but they played nine guys and, uh, you know, shorthanded. No, no Hunter, no Fernando, no Membry. In addition to Reddish, who was ruled out with concussion ahead of time, Alex Lynn and Jamari Parker. So a lot of shorthanded nature for Atlanta there. And even coming into the game, the Hawks had three point guards, basically one starting caliber wing and Kevin Herter, and then a bunch of mismatched parts alongside John Collins and Turner. As we'll talk about later, has not played in a game since December 28th. He'd been inactive for a long, long time, and I think myself and everybody else included believed that he would not be playing for the Hawks anymore, and I still would have believed that if not for the dire circumstance here, and uh, he actually played okay. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, the spread was all over the place in this game. Um, they opened up around six, went up to seven, went down to five. It was kind of all over the place, but in general, the Hawks were underdogs in this game, and as you might imagine. Um, but still, they actually competed throughout the game, and we saw that. They did not cover at the end, but uh, it was definitely in doubt in the final minute. The first quarter was a lot of back and forth. In fact, the whole first half was a lot of back and forth. A 5-0 run by Boston to open the game, then a 9-0 run by the Hawks, capped by a, actually a big dunk by Kevin Herter, kind of a surprisingly uh, potent one at, at the rim. Um, they actually started out with uh, Jeff Teague starting alongside Trey Young, which is a little bit of a surprise to me because of how big Boston is on the wing. You had Teague guarding Jalen Brown. Um, that's a tough matchup for him. He, he held his own for the most part, but that was a, kind of a rough... There were, there were no good options in terms of lineups for the Hawks in this game. Spoiler alert. Um, and then another 8-0 run later on from Boston to retake the lead. A lot of back and forth, but uh, some hot shooting in the first quarter plus from Trey Young and Kevin Herter. Young had 17 points in the first quarter on seven, free, on, on seven shots, four threes there for him. He had um, The Hawks shot the ball blisteringly well in the first quarter, and that allowed them to take a six-point lead. Actually, figure, actually featured an Evan Turner buzzer beater at the end of the first quarter, um, and they were playing er, Evan Turner sort of at center on offense. They had Turner and Graham in the game at the same time. They were playing Vince Carter guarding Enos Cantor defensively. There was a bizarre lineup on the floor with Goodwin, Teague, Vince, and Turner at one point. Just a lot of uh, weirdness going on, I would say. The second quarter was, uh, you know, more back and forth, I would say. Obviously, on the, on the scoreboard, it was not as favorable as the first quarter, but not, not quite as bad either as some of the second half were. Um, the, the Celtics couldn't lead to one in a hurry early on in the second quarter with Enos Cantor kind of just chopping wood around the rim. He had four offensive rebounds in quick succession um, in, the, in the second quarter to open things up, and the Hawks were shooting the ball very well, but not leading by a whole lot because of the uh, defensive issues that they had for much of the first half. They came out of a timeout, though, and Herter hit back-to-back threes, both wide open and the kind of breakdowns by the Celtics, but he made them both. And um, suddenly the Hawks were up by seven, but then after another timeout, it was a 9-0 run by the Celtics to take the lead again. So a lot of back and forth, as I said before. Herter had 13 in a hurry, uh, and actually at one point, Young and Herter were 11 of 17 from the floor and 7 of 12 from three, so they were cooking a lot individually in the first quarter and a half of this game. 
The Hawks played sort of a zone defense at the end of the first half for a few times. Also a little bit of a token full court press. Not terribly effective, but not disastrous either, which I want to at least point out that Pierce said he was he was prepared to play a lot of zone. Uh, didn't play as much as, he, as actually as he thought he might play in this game, but uh, worth pointing that out as well. At the halftime break, the Hawks go in up two because of a weird half-court buzzer beater by John Collins at, off the glass, and they're up by two at the half. 23-5 and five for the first half for Trey Young, 13 for Herter, 12-7 and seven for Collins, and the Hawks were good offensively. They were 10 of 21 from three in the first half. But spoiler alert, the second half was uh, pretty ugly in terms of offense. In fact, Pierce said this as well, um, the Hawks were only two of nine from three in the second half. And nine attempts might be the season low for Atlanta in a full half of basketball, which is kind of jarring given how good they were in the first half. Just the Celtics kind of changed our defense a little bit, and it was effective in a lot of ways. In fact, Boston wasted no time in the third quarter, kind of blowing things open a little bit, a 7-0 run. And the Hawks actually substituted Vince Carter for Damian Jones within 90 seconds of the, uh, we sent him to the table within 90 seconds of the first half, sorry, of the second quarter, uh, second half opening a 14-4 overall run by, by Boston. And Boston scored 14 points on their first six possessions. Set the tone a little bit for the second half. Um, the Hawks went down 11 um, in pretty much of a hurry. They actually held on from there to only be down 11 at the end of the, of the, end of the third quarter, but the damage was kind of already done in a lot of ways with, 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 the, with the lack of defensive resistance in the third period. It was a 35-22 to 22 quarter in favor of Boston, and the Hawks only attempted three threes. That is just jarringly low for this team, and then Boston shot the ball great in the third quarter. They were 14-21 of 21 with five threes on their own. Um, Collins and Trey were still being uh, very, very prolific, but uh, not a whole lot of positives from the third quarter. The fourth quarter was better. In fact, the Hawks won the fourth quarter, but it was kind of an up-and-down way to do it. They got down 13 um, early in the, in the fourth. They did cut it down to eight a couple, diff- a couple different times with Jeff T kind of pushing a little bit. He had 14 points in his first nine shots, and it was really kind of cooking in the, in the fourth quarter, which is nice to see from Jeff after some struggles before this. They came, out of a, they came out of a timeout down eight with a lineup that you do not want to play. It was T, Goodwin, Turner, and Jones in the court together. Actually a minor miracle. They actually won the minutes with that, with that lineup. It was about plus one in that minute and a half or so. That was a, a huge win for Atlanta. In fact, they came all the way back to cut it to two behind Teague and Herter, putting down a massive run there. In fact, the Hawks didn't hit a three in the second half until about five minutes to go in the, in the game. But then Herter hit two in a row, which were two of the three that they hit in the entire second half. And then suddenly, they're down by three at 110 to 107. The Hawks actually cut the margin down from eight to three with Trey on the bench. Trey sat for about four and a half minutes. And I think that was probably longer than it was planned to be because the lineup was playing so well with Teague and Herter and Turner, etc. It actually worked out pretty decently. People were criticizing Lloyd Pierce. This is not the night to do that because the Hawks, again, cut the lead by, from eight to eight to three without Trey on the court. And then when Trey came back in, he was not very good um, at the end of this game. In fact, uh, Young, it was worth pointing out, by the way, that Turner played crunch time. That was genuinely shocking. It was shocking that he played, out, that he played at all, but the fact that he was playing a lot was uh, very surprising. Still down three with 3.23 to go. The Hawks are in pretty good position. But then from there, the Celtics scored the next five points in a hurry um, between Grant Williams and Jalen Brown. A broken play led to a Collins second chance bucket to get back to six. Um, but from there, they, the, closest they got to, the closest they got was uh, down by four. And then down, yeah, down by four, I believe. Yes. At 117 to 125, at, at the 125 mark, I should say, 117-113. The Hawks, actually, Hawks actually won a challenge by Lloyd Pierce. A nice job by him, um, or at least an official review to get um, the ball back down four with about 90 seconds to go. And at that point, you're still an underdog, obviously. 
But with the ball, if you score there, things get very, very interesting. But then Trey Young turned it over on that possession. That led to a Grant Williams layup to basically end the game at 119 to 113 with 30, 38 seconds to go. And then the Hawks missed on their next possession with Kevin Herter. And that was basically the academic point of the game with Boston taking over and extending the lead to a spot where the Hawks just couldn't overtake it. But still, a one-possession game with three minutes to go, a four-point game with the ball with about 130 to go. Pretty competitive overall for the Hawks in this game where they were just you know violently shorthanded. Offensively, the numbers look pretty good for the full game. They shot 50% from the floor, 40% from three. That is obviously a good ratio. 22 assists, only 17 turnovers, which is a lot. Um, but still, they shot the ball well, well enough to win, and the offensive rating of 114 is enough to win most nights. Um, the lack of threes in the second half, definitely worth pointing out because, again, they were 10 of 21 in the first half and 2 of 9 in the second half. The ratio there is not great, and you have to be able to get shots up if you're the Hawks. That's one of the things that their offense is based on. Um, but other than that, they shot the ball well in the game, and offensively you couldn't have asked for too much more from this shorthanded group. Defensively, though, it was, it was an adventure for most of the night. They did a pretty decent job in the uh, first quarter. But from there, it was uh, a lot of Boston being efficient and productive offensively. Um, a 122 defensive rating, that's pretty bad. 53% from the floor for Boston, 41% from three for the Celtics, and uh, not a whole lot of pressure being applied. Again, some of that's personnel, but the Hawks just didn't play all that well defensively either. And uh, you know, being shorthanded is, is certainly an excuse that makes a lot of sense, but uh, couldn't execute against the Kimball Walkerless Celtics in this game. Uh, individually, Lots of you know ups and downs, I would say, in this game. There were some high moments, some low moments. On the bench, only four guys played. The, the fifth guy who was available to play was Charlie Brown. He was a DNP in this game. Evan Turner was the big surprise. I was actually the one that asked Lloyd Pierce before the game whether or not um, Evan was a consideration, given that he had not played so long but because the Hawks were so short. And uh, Lloyd basically said, uh, I believe his entire answer was, quote, Evan is active tonight. End quote, and that I and that I responded with, is is he going to be dressed? And he said yes, and that was the whole exchange. So at that point in time, I'm almost assuming Evans not going to play unless it's an emergency. I thought he would have been at least the ninth man in the spot, but he played and actually competed pretty well. I was shocked how much he played after again not playing since December 28th, but 21 minutes for Turner. He was plus four. He had two points only, two assists and a steal. But defensively, I thought he competed very well. Pierce complimented his defense after the game saying that that's why they basically chose to ride with him in crunch time is that he was playing good, de playing good defense, and I can't really disagree. Uh, it wasn't like he was fantastic, but the fact that Turner didn't kill them after not playing for so long is a win, and the Hawks needed that contribution to make this thing uh, pretty interesting in the fourth quarter. Vince Carter, 19 minutes, didn't really have it going from a shooter perspective. He was actually 0-4 from three, 2 of 7 from the from the floor, but four points, three block shots, which is kind of stunning for Vince, but uh, you know, ups and downs there for Carter. Brandon Goodwin only, only took one shot in 17 minutes, but was actually plus eight, two points, five rebounds, and assist and a steal. Played pretty effective defense, was at least uh, hounding ball handlers, etc. And then Travion Graham played 18 minutes. I thought he actually might play more in this spot. I would have even considered starting him. He's not a very good offensive player, but defensively they could have used his length, and they probably did a little bit in this game. He's minus six in his 18 minutes. I thought he was at least competitive, made one three. Six points and three rebounds. Um, to the starting five, uh, four of the five guys played 36 minutes or more, so very, very heavy on the starters in this game, as you might expect, with only a nine-minute rotation. Damian Jones was the fifth. Um, 17 minutes, four points, two rebounds, and assist for Damian. I thought he was pretty bad in this game. Uh, it's a bad matchup for him in some respects, but uh, Jones could have... They certainly could have used more out of Jones in this game. I'll, I'll try to leave it there for now. Damian has been a punching bag, and I think... Right, right, rightly so a lot of the time. And in this game, he did not help them win. Um, we'll just leave it there. To the big four in this game, anyway, Jeff Teague was the fourth of four. 18 points, six assists, four steals for Jeff, including a bunch of live ball um, stuff in the fourth quarter. 
Um, 7-14 from the floor, 4-4 from the free throw line. I thought Jeff was good in the second half. First half, not so much. He was pretty shaky, I thought, but then I turned it on in the second half, had 14 points after halftime, made a lot of plays. I didn't think he was like absolutely fantastic, but certainly did some stuff that the Hawks needed him to do after halftime. Kevin Herter, 9 of 21 from the floor isn't like fantastic, but 5 of 11 from 3 is very good. And I am all the way here for Kevin Herter to take 21 shots. He led the team in field goals, which is not like a normal thing for him on a team with Trey Young. But Herter was aggressive. He was hunting his shot. And I think that's the best version of Herter when he's trying to hunt his shot because that's his best attribute. Uh, Herter does a lot of things well. I think his creation ability is underrated and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, his best, his, his best thing is his jump shot on the move, on the catch, et cetera. And he was looking for it in this game and playing aggressively as a result. Had 23 points. Um, second on the team that's going off. I think he played pretty well. John Collins, 22 points and 11 rebounds. He was uh, very efficient as always. 10 of 12 on the floor. In fact, if there was any question that I would have, about the offense in this game. It might have been that they didn't give the ball to John Collins enough. In fact, I'm sure they didn't give the ball to him enough. He had 38 minutes and 12 shot attempts. That's just not enough for John Collins. I know he's not like a necessarily like a, a number one primary option to throw the ball to all the time, but Collins needs to get more shots. You have to give him, you know, when he's in, in, in a situation that's more of an advantage against like Gordon Hayward or something like that, you got to feed him. And I think the Hawks didn't do a great job of involving Collins. Credit to him, he still managed to get up 22 and 11. That's still a fantastic night. But at two blocks and a steal, I thought John was very good. One of the blocks on Tatum was just a, a perfect verticality play. And uh, Collins continues to play very, very well. And we think we saw a lot of positive stuff from him in this game. And then Troy Young, box score wise, 34 and 7 looks good. Um, I think in the first half, he was electric. In the first quarter, he was just basically unconscious with 17 points. And only, I think only missed one shot in the first quarter. And in, uh, in, in the first three quarters, he had 27 points. I thought Trey was pretty bad after halftime, actually, by his standards. Obviously, even his even his pretty bad is pretty effective because he's got to be guarded and he's, he's passing all that stuff. But, um, you know, fourth quarter, it was not good. Um, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to pile on too much, but I thought Tremont Waters kind of bothered him a little bit with the uh, peskiness that he was bringing to the table. Trey had nine turnovers in this game. I don't worry too much about Young's turnovers. I kind of always say that on the podcast, but nine turnovers and seven assists is a bad ratio. Kind of, kind of goes without saying. Still at 34 points, so you, you, can't, you can't kill Trey Young in this game, but I, I did think when he was, uh, you know, in crunch time, it was not his best. I think he could have played better um, in the fourth quarter in particular, but even the whole second half. And, uh, you know, he'll get better, obviously, in the future, and you can't knock him too much for what was, a, in the end, a, an efficient shooting game and still had seven assists. But the turnovers were a lot and a couple of uh, shaky decisions from Trey in crunch time. So, you know, in the end, the Hawks are not supposed to win this game, and they didn't. So I, I don't think you should be upset about this performance if you're a Hawks fan. There were there were moments that were frustrating, to be sure, and particularly the third quarter of the defensive end was really bad and, like, jarringly so in the first five minutes or so of the third quarter. And in the end, that might have lost in the game, honestly. But, you know, losing my eight at home to the Celtics team, I know they were without Kemba, but the Hawks were so shorthanded that if you look at the roster from, like, you know, the top three for the Hawks can match up with just about anybody. Um, but... You know, beyond that, like from four to ten, Boston still has more talent. Even without you know two of their better players in Kemba and Marcus Smart, they just have guys who are more talented and more effective in a lot of ways um, than the guys that the Hawks were trotting out there. So, you know, not a huge surprising loss, but we'll see if the Hawks can respond to this on Wednesday. They go to Minnesota, a team that is playing terrible basketball right now. The Wolves, at last check, have lost eleven games in a row. They're actually playing tonight um, to potentially stop that, but I would be surprised as they're down by eighteen as I record this. So. Probably the Wolves will be entering on a 12-game losing streak. Um, so a little, a little bit of pressure, at least on the perimeter, from the Hawks, even on the road, to beat a team that's just not playing very well right now. And then the Hawks, after the deadline on Thursday, 
will play in Boston. Sort of a quick rematch at the Monday home game here and then the Friday game in Boston. So we'll see how that game goes compared to, compared to this one. And the rosters could be different by that point in time because Boston is another team that's in the mix for Quick Capella. So we'll uh, obviously touch on that in the future. Um, as rumors come in, I will do podcasts, hopefully not like a ton of them separately, but um, provided something occurs between now and tomorrow night, I will probably do another show. If the rumor market is still cold until Tuesday night, I might hold off until Wednesday to do a podcast. But at the very least, we'll have two more shows. We'll have the, the game recaps plus whatever else happens on Wednesday night and then a Thursday post event recap. Um, that's the that's the bare minimum. Um, before that, if anything happens, you know, any deal will be an emergency podcast unless it's like a second rounder for something. But anyway, we'll talk about it on the podcast. The best way to, to, get the, to get and find the podcast is to subscribe to the show via your podcast platform of choice. That is the way to do it if you want to make sure that you get every podcast. Also follow me on Twitter at BT Roll and follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks and I will tweet out the episodes as well. Thank you for joining us. As always, it will be a busy week, I'm sure. Um, if the Hawks don't make deals, they'll almost assuredly be tied to some players in the next couple of days. So stay tuned for all of that, and uh, let's have some fun together. We'll see, we'll see everybody next time, and thank you, as always, for listening.